pretty good, did it not? If you would, be turning back to Philemon. If you would, let's read verse 11 again. Philemon, verse 11. Which in times past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. So as we'd seen into the first message there, or I hope we've seen, Onesimus goes to Paul for help. And unknown to Onesimus, he's being arrested. He's being arrested of God. Onesimus is not seeking God. He's seeking fleshly, worldly help. But the living God is seeking Onesimus. Onesimus is not looking for our Lord. Our Lord is looking for Onesimus. Onesimus does not want grace, but grace wants Onesimus. And at the appointed time, and by the providence of the Lord God, Paul and Onesimus meet. And as Paul is ministering to Onesimus' physical needs, he preaches the gospel to him. The mercy and love and forgiveness that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And something happens. And God pricks him in the heart. And Onesimus is broken. The love of Christ melts his hard, cold heart like ice. And God reveals to Onesimus who and what Onesimus is to himself. Onesimus now sees he's an unworthy, useless, vile sinner. A thief, an untrustworthy, deceitful wretch. God also reveals to Onesimus who God is. Not only holy, 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 but a God who delights to show mercy, a God who is long-suffering, kind and loving. And Onesimus cries out for mercy and something happens. God hears. A broken and a contrite heart God will not despise. Now and not until now is the unprofitable made profitable.
I wonder how many wise and mighty and noble men our sovereign God passed by to save this poor, worthless slave. As we looked at in the first message, who are you and who am I that God should show us grace and mercy? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 29. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are called. But God hath chosen these foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, things which are not to bring to naught, things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Now verses 12 and 13 of our text. Who, whom I have sinned again, thou therefore receivest him, that is, mine own bowels, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. Onesimus, he's a changed man. He has a God-given new heart, and he now has new desires. He's like, he's like Zacchaeus when the Lord visited him. One who was a chief among the publicans and rich. One who got rich dishonestly. One who loved money says something incredible. Luke 19 verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. What happened? Well, our Lord tells us in verse 9 and 10. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house. For so much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of God has come to seek and to save that which is lost. God did something for him and God did something in him. What a change God performed on and in Onesimus. Onesimus is now so helpful to Paul for the gospel's sake, being truly thankful to God and to his preacher, that without being commanded to, and without any threat of the law, and without promise of reward, Onesimus willfully and joyfully serves or ministers to Paul. One who once ran from the gospel now runs to it. What a difference grace makes. So much so that Paul wants, Paul desires to keep him. Paul loves Onesimus. Look back in verse 10 of our text. He says he calls him his son, as he did Timothy. Onesimus is valued and loved just like Timothy.
So it is with our Lord. He loves his church. He loves his bride equally. There are no degrees of love in our Lord. He loves the greatest as much as the least, and the least as much as the greatest. God's love is unconditional love. It is a love beyond our comprehension. It's an eternal love. Listen to God the Son as he prays to God the Father. This is recorded in John chapter 17, verse 23. I in them and thou in me, that they, be, that, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them, as thou hast loved me. Thou hast loved them as thou hast loved me. The Father loves his people as he loves his darling son. Is that not astounding? How can that be? How can sinners be loved by a thice holy God? How can Philemon, a godly man, one who knows something of the depravity of human nature and the deceitfulness of the heart, one who has been painfully wronged, ever accept, ever forgive, ever love Onesimus? How? Onesimus was given more than he deserved while he was in Philemon's house. And he wasted it. He more or less just spit in Philemon's face and said, Good riddance. Now all Onesimus deserves, as we'd said before, is death. How can there be reconciliation? How can these two be brought back together again? And not just together again, but together in harmony, walking hand in hand. Left to man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Now verse 14. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefits should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. As we have seen earlier, Paul desires to keep Onesimus as a ministering friend, as Philemon was. But there's a problem. <clears throat> there's a problem, if you will. Onesimus belongs to Philemon still. Paul wants Onesimus of the hands of Philemon willingly. Paul is asking Philemon not only to preserve Onesimus' life, but to forgiving and to returning to Paul. He's expressing to Philemon the change in Onesimus. And the value of Onesimus. He's a new man. He's been born 
again. And that he loves the both of them. Paul writes, if, if there was no one else to think about but Onesimus. I can see Philemon as he's reading these very words, this very letter. And maybe thinking to himself as he's reading along, if Paul so desires him, maybe the Lord surely must have done a work in Onesimus. Now verses 15 and 16. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. But now, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, specially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. As we can see, Paul further pleads his case for Onesimus. He's a good lawyer. Are you and I not thankful that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, that ever pleads our case? Paul here is speaking to Philemon on what they call preventative grace. Grace that goes before and prepares the way for grace. Psalms 37 verse 23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. All the events of a believer's life, whether trivial or common or important, every such event has a purpose, whether we can trace it or not. It's a purpose which will be made plain in eternity. May our Lord apply that to our hearts, and may he enable us to take comfort and his sovereignty. Our Lord knows what is best for each of his children. Though it may be bitter to our flesh, it is what's best for us. Our Lord is far too wise to err. Have you ever wished you could turn back time and change something you did or didn't do? Be honest with yourself. Listen. God uses those things to humble us, to put his children in the dust, and to bring glory to himself. He's conforming us to the very image of his son. Onesimus, like our father Adam, did exactly what he wanted to do. The apple didn't fall far from the tree. Like father, like son. Sinners. They both willfully chose to rebel against their masters. Adam was not deceived. He willfully disobeyed. Onesimus, by his own free will, disobeyed. He willfully become unprofitable. The grace of God rules and overrules all things to accomplish his purpose.
Imagine with me what all had to take place for Onesimus to be brought to the appointed time of love. Paul, God's preacher, was unjustly arrested and sent to Rome. Philemon's unjust servant runs away in rebellion to Rome. And God, at just the right time, brings Onesimus to Paul, and Paul preaches the gospel to him in the power of the Holy Spirit, and God gives Onesimus life. Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee, and the remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. God's purpose of grace cannot be overturned. Where sin abounded, Grace did much more abound. Like Onesimus, we've become unprofitable. Listen, Romans 3, verse 12. They are, they are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. We all have departed for a season from our Master, the Lord God. But in the purpose of God, He will receive us forever in Christ. If you would, look back to verse 12 of our text. Paul says, Therefore receive Him that is mine own bowels. Philemon, Philemon, Receive Onesimus as you would receive my very own heart. Now back to verse 16. Not now as a servant, not reluctantly or suspiciously or on probate, untrustfully. No, no. Above all that, but as a brother beloved for all eternity. <laughs> Paul pleads for Onesimus with heart love. Onesimus is the apple of his eye. And Paul is willing to do all he can to win Philemon's trust. Mike spoke on this not too long ago. Remember who first trusted in Christ? Turn, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll just look at verses 12 and 13. Ephesians chapter 1. <laughs> that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted. After that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Who first trusted? The Father first trusted in Christ. Who else can be trusted? Not man. He put man in a perfect body with a perfect mind and a perfect environment. 
And he gave him one restriction, only one, to see if he could be trusted. And Adam failed miserably. He cannot trust angels either. Look at Satan and a third of the host of heaven. They were in the very presence of the living God, and through pride they fell. Job tells us that he charges, God charges them with folly. Angels cannot be trusted. Listen to what Job said, Job 4, verses 17 through 19. Shall mortal, shall mortal man be more just than God? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? Behold, he puts no trust in his servants, and his angels he charged with folly. How much less in them that dwell in houses of clay, and whose foundation is in the dust, which are crushed before the moth. Angels and man cannot be trusted. Only Christ and Christ alone can be trusted. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can be trusted. Trust him for today, trust him for tomorrow, trust him for eternity. Trust no one else with your soul but Christ. He is our surety. Let me show you this. Turn with me, if you would, to Revelations chapter 5. It's a little lengthy. It's the whole chapter, but I would like to read it. Revelations chapter 5, starting in verse 1. I think this is a pretty good picture. And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaim with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look therein. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open the book and to read the book, neither to look therein. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. Loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as, as it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. <laughs> And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden bales full of adores, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on earth. And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about and the throne and the beast and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches 
and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessings in every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessings and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. What I wanted us to see, Christ our Lord and Savior, is the horn of salvation. Horn in scriptures are emblems of power. As such, Christ has all power to save his people. John Trapp said, as our mediator, Christ took the book. The book of God's eternal decrees and God's eternal plan and purpose of grace and predestination for God's elect. And as God, he gave it. Our Savior did not ask for the book. He took it. Why? Because it's his right to do so by a sin-atoning sacrifice. Now verse 17 of our text. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. As believers, as children of the living God, we have an interest in each other and must act and love accordingly. <clears throat> Paul is asking Philemon to show to him his love by receiving Onesimus. Philemon, if you love me, you will accept the one I love so dearly. And don't just accept him, but accept him as if it was me. How would you accept me if I was to show up at your door? As a friend? A brother? A son? With open arms and soft words and a warm heart. What a picture or example our Lord has given us in this verse of divine forgiveness. If, Ones if Onesimus is to be forgiven, it must be through the intercession of another. If Philemon is going to forgive Onesimus, it must be through Paul. Onesimus dare not throw away this letter and undertake to plead his own case. In Philemon's eye, Onesimus was still a guilty man. Guilty of theft. Guilty of despising his master's goodness and trust. Onesimus has a debt he cannot pay. He's broke. Onesimus' only hope is this letter from Paul. Our only hope of forgiveness with God is the intercession of another. Christ is our intercessor, our mediator. We must have someone to intervene on our behalf. He's the only one that can plead our case. We are by nature sinners and we have broke the law of God. Guilty of trying to steal from God his glory with self-righteousness and works. We despised our master's goodness and trust and have incurred a debt that we cannot pay. 
all our righteousnesses is as of filthy rags. We have no hope outside of Christ. We dare not take up our case before the living God on our own. We must have a mediator. We must have a go-between. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Everybody listen. All that Christ is and all that he has accomplished is for us, for you and for me. Jesus Christ is our mediator, our advocate, our intercessor. Christ truly is our all. God, the infinite majesty on high, is the one that has been despised, offended, and wronged. The person therefore interposing on our behalf must have some equality with him to whom he interposes. Nobody is fit for this job but one. Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. Verse 18. If he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. So how can reconciliation be made? How can these two be brought back together again? Reconciliation can only be accomplished by a substitute, or by substitution. That's the only way. There is no other way. Remember Adam and Eve after the fall? Adam put the blame on his wife, Eve. And Eve put the blame on the serpent. And both our parents foolishly sought to put the blame on God. What I want to see here is that these vain excuses, through these vain excuses, they're actually looking for a mediator. Would somebody please take up our case? Would somebody please intercede on our behalf? Our only ability is to point fingers at each other, to put the blame on somebody else. Adam pointed at Eve, Eve pointed at the servant, and everybody pointed at God. And God, who is rich in mercy, unto Adam also and to his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skin. And clothed them. Instead of Adam and Eve dying, an innocent substitute took their place. Instead of our blood being shed, somebody else's blood must be shed. Paul is willingly, lovingly taking the place of Onesimus before Philemon. Paul says, Put that on my account. 
Whatever Onesimus owes you, I'll pay to the uttermost farthing. We have been accepted because of another. The Lord Jesus Christ, we have been forgiven by God Almighty through the precious blood of his darling son, through the intercession of Christ on our behalf. 1 Peter 3 verse 18 says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Remember David when he sinned with Bathsheba? Remember what God did? God killed David's infant son instead of David, the grievous sinner. The runaway slave David was forgiven by the blood of an innocent victim, the blood of another save David. If you would, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, a few verses here, verse, starting in verse 12. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. That at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope, and without God, in the world. But now, but now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, for to make himself of twain one new man, so making peace and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have excess, excess by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. All in Christ. Verse 19. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. Albeit, I do not say to thee how oft, I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. Paul saying, I have written it with my own hand. I will repay it. This is a signed bond. It's a promissory note. It's a written pledge with Paul's name on it. Philemon needs no other security. He knows Paul's good for it. Philemon knows Paul is a man of his word. His yea is yea and his nay is nay. And finally, he knows Paul is a good surety. This shows great humility of Paul to Philemon that Paul would be a bondsman for a slave. 
Paul, the educated apostle, would be a surety for an ignorant slave, an unprofitable servant that's gone out of the way. So I ask you a question. What if Philemon was to not believe Paul's words? What would that mean? It means that Philemon would be calling Paul a liar. What about the record that the majesty on high gives of his son? What about that record? Now, if you would, turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. To me, this is very serious scripture. God is telling us what a horrid sin unbelief really is. He that does not believe on Christ is guilty of the greatest blasphemy. It is God and not man that they do not believe. 1 John chapter 5, let's start in verse 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in the earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. Do you believe men? What about God? For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. What does God say of his Son? He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. When men and women willfully refuse to believe what God testifies of his darling Son, they not only make God a liar, but what they're saying is, Christ is not good enough. It'd be like finally even saying, looking at this letter right here and saying, I don't believe Paul. If Anesimus comes here, I'm killing him. They refuse the heavenly witness concerning Christ. From a God that cannot lie. Look with me at the second half of verse 19 in our text. Paul tells Philemon, I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. Where would Philemon be and what would Philemon be if God had not been merciful to him and sent Paul through much suffering and trial to preach the gospel to him? In short, Philemon, you're no different than Onesimus. When Paul met Philemon... He was a slave to sin, just like Onesimus. We're all debtors. Oh, what we owe to our Lord for all that he has done for us. Saving us from ourselves, Satan, this world, the law, from religion, from our lust, from our works, from our self-righteousness, and the list goes on. We owe our Lord all. Our Lord gave himself his all for our sakes. Everything we have, whether spiritually or physically or materially, 
is from his hands and it belongs to him. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. What, know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didn't receive? Let's read on verses 20 and 21. Philemon, verse 20. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. Ephesians 4.23 says, Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. I believe Philemon did do more than Paul asked. Philemon knew, as all believers know, what he was by nature and practice. Paul had seen in Philemon as much as a change as he had seen in Onesimus. He was confident Philemon was one of God's own children. And being so, he had a willing heart. And what won't a willing heart do? And as Philemon finishes reading this letter, I can see him look up and put his eyes on Onesimus. And Onesimus may be on his knees or maybe just standing there with his head down waiting in anticipation in silence. No more running. As a true repentant sinner asking for forgiveness. If Onesimus wasn't truly repenting, he would never have hand-delivered this letter to his master. Onesimus desires a reconciliation. And as the prodigal son spoke to his father, Onesimus tells Philemon, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And as our great God and Savior has forgiven me and you, who have greatly wronged him, Philemon, with open arms, receives Onesimus back into his household. But not as a slave, not as a servant. Working off his dead, no, not like that, but freely by grace as a son for Paul's sake. Our Father forgives us freely for Christ's sake. Listen to 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. 
Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we should be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Verse 22. But with all prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I should be given unto you. Paul not only loves this body of believers, but he also longs to be with them. He simply misses them. And he plans on following this letter. And through their prayers, their love and desire to be with Paul, that he should be given to them. What a picture of reconciliation. Everyone is in agreement. Now there's harmony. Psalms 85 verse 10 says, Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Now Paul, Philemon, Onesimus, Aphia, Archippus, and the rest of the church can sit down together and eat with joy together. Remember the prodigal father's words? And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this is my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they begin to be merry. Someday, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, all us Onesimus will sit down with our Heavenly Father and eat with joy and begin to be merry for eternity. Because of our great Lord and Savior and his substitutionary work. I pray if any here today know not the Lord, that he would make himself known to you and in you and take up lodging in your heart. He's a God of all grace and he delights in mercy. Let me finish with these verses. Romans chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. By whom we have now received reconciliation it's all of God and it's all of grace may the Lord bless you and he bless his word I just made myself a little note there earlier some of this is speculation on Philemon and Onesimus we don't know God's word silent on it but as a picture of our Lord I believe he most certainly took him in. This is according to tradition.
Philemon, Aphia, Archippus, and Onesimus were all martyred for Christ. I believe 